want to thank you all for being here this morning. Grateful to see you, and uh, Happy New Year uh, to you. Uh, one thing you're going to notice this morning is that the, this is just so you, it's the elephant in the room. The center screen signal has been lost, so that's why there's no screen there. So you're going to have to look to your right or to your left so you have the words to sing, all right? It's just when we get there, you're not looking back at Don and saying, Don, like, what's going on, all right? So everybody's good with that. Uh, just a quick reminder that we announced last Sunday that we're going to be uh, looking at hiring a children's ministry director. So if you have any interest in that kind of position, uh, just submit your resume to Christina Naley, admin at the chapel, nj.org. So we'll just uh, have that word out there for the next couple of weeks, and then we're going to work on moving towards a conclusion with that. Uh, next Sunday morning, just a reminder that our Sunday school classes begin, and uh, hopefully in the near future, uh, probably like a month or so, we're going to be starting up some uh, a little more broken down classes amongst the elementary age. So just be watching for information on that. The other thing I did want to mention is that each Sunday we hand you a leaflet when you come in, and on that there's uh, events that are upcoming, but one of the things that we do on the back is we give you missions updates. So one of the things I would encourage you to do is maybe have this as something that's on your dinner table when you're uh, together for dinner and you're uh, in, in your time of prayer. You can take time to focus on some of the things that are taking place amongst the missions that we support. So we try to each week give you an update on that. The one that's on the back there is for the uh, Perillos in Rwanda. So Psalm 90 is an interesting psalm. I, I don't know why this thought was in my mind this morning. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations, right? This idea that God at all times and in all seasons in my life, uh, you're present, you're with me. And, and the text moves in two directions. One is in terms of comfort, right? To know that God has my back, that he's that I'm facing in my life. And then the second thing is also that God's presence has a purifying influence in my life, right? So both of those things are true as we work through the various seasons of our life. Later on in the chapter of this psalm, the psalmist says, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of understanding. You know, I'm, I'm not a kind of a big New Year's Day kind of person, but there is a sense in which it's a time to just kind of assess where you are, right? To, to get a fresh start. And so one of the things this psalmist encourages us to do is to step back and say, God, help me to number my days. That means to allocate them properly to your God-given purposes. So I want to encourage you with that as we begin this morning. I want to ask you to stand with me as we join our and also in a season of worship in song. So Lord, as we come before you this morning, we thank you for the year that you've given us to live. Uh, Lord, it is a year that has been uh, full of a lot of joyful events for many in this room, but also sometimes, Lord, as we look back, there are seasons of perhaps regret that we may face. There are seasons of sorrow as we have gone through uh, seasons of loss together. Uh, so, Lord, we, we, we thank you that you have been our dwelling place uh, through this last year. You've been with us, strengthening us, helping us, upholding us. And, Lord, as we look into the new years, just this new, as this day passes and we move into 2024, 
Lord, teach us individually to number our days. Teach us as families to number our days. Teach us as a church family uh, to rightly allocate the resources and time that you give us to serve you well. Uh, Lord, keep us away from being distracted and uh, overwhelmed and help us to live with intention this year for your glory. Lord, I pray that there, that, that there may be some standing here right now who have not yet trusted Christ. And Lord, we pray that this year may be the year that they rightly allocate their heart before you and claim you as Savior and Lord. Lord, maybe there's a friend here that's been struggling with a pattern of sin that needs to be broken. Uh, Lord, they need to find freedom in this new year. And God, this would be a good time to say, God, I'm done with that pattern. And I am breaking free in the power of your spirit to live the life that you want me to live. God, help us to number our days. Bless now as we worship you in song. As we glorify the name of Christ. Jesus, make your name great. Make your name powerful and help us to respond with a heart of praise and a heart of trust in your goodness and favor. We pray your blessing over Diana Kelly as we have been just continuing, God, to lift her up. We ask that you would be her strength and her support during this long season that she's been in, many years, Lord. We pray for Linda Matthews, God. We thank you for the touch that you've brought in her life, the restoration that you have brought, and we trust that it would continue. And Lord, for those that have gone through a season of loss, even in recent months, we pray your grace and favor and peace over them. Bless now as we worship your name. And all God's people said, amen. Let's worship him together. Remember those walls that we called sin and shame. They were like prisons that we couldn't escape. But he came, and he died, and he rose. Those walls are rubble now. Remember those giants we called death and grave. They were like mountains that stood in our way. But he came, and he died, and he rose. Those giants are dead now. And this is our God. This is who he is. He loves us. This is our God. This is what he does. He saves us. He bore the cross, beat the grave, let heaven and earth proclaim, this is our God, King Jesus. Remember that fear that took our breath away, faith so weak that we could barely pray, but he heard every word every whisper thank you lord now those altars in the wilderness tell the story of his faithfulness never once did he fail and he never will this is our god this is
This is our God. This is who He is. He loves us. This is our God. This is what He does. He saves us. He bore the cross, beat the grave. Let heaven and earth proclaim. This is our God, King Jesus. Who pulled me out? Who pulled me out of that pit? He did. He did. Who paid for all of our sin? Nobody but Jesus. Who pulled me out of that pit? He did. He did. Who paid for all of our sin? Nobody but Jesus. Who rescued me from that grave? Yahweh. Yahweh. Who gets the glory and praise? Nobody but Jesus. Who rescued me from that grave? Yahweh, Yahweh, who gets the glory and praise? Nobody but Him. This is our God. This is who He is. He loves us. This is our God. This is what He does. He saves us. He bore the cross, beat the grave. Let heaven and earth proclaim this is our God. King Jesus, for the cross, beat the grave, let heaven and earth proclaim, this is our God, King Jesus. shame of scandal came the savior of the human race but the skies were filled with the praise of him shepherds listen as the angels tell of the gift of god come down to man at the dawning of emmanuel heaven now the friend of sinners humble servant in the father's hands filled with power and the holy spirit filled with mercy for the broken man yes he walked my road and he felt my pain joys and sorrows that i know so well yet his righteous steps Give me hope again, I will follow my Emmanuel. 
kisses of a friend's betrayal. He was lifted on a cruel cross. He was punished for a world's transgressions. He was suffering to save the lost. He fights for breath. He fights for me. Losing sinners from the claims of hell. And with a shout, our souls are free. Death defeated by place of honor, crowned with glory on the highest throne, interceding for his own beloved, till his father calls to bring them home. Then the skies will part as the trumpet sounds, hope of heaven or the fear of hell, but the bride will run to her lover's arms, giving glory to Emmanuel. Then the skies will part as the trumpet sounds, hope of heaven or the fear of hell. But the bride will run to her lover's arms, giving glory to Brought every tribe and nation to their knees Arriving with the host of heaven In royal robe and crown The rulers of the earth all bowing down But you chose meekness over majesty Rapture power in humanity. Glory be to you. You could have marched in all your glory into the heart of Rome and showed them splendor like they'd never known. But you wrote a better story in humble Bethlehem 
creator in the arms of common man. You will die for our redemption, and you'll rise so we can live. Glory be to you alone, King who reigns from a manger throne. My life, my praise, everything I own to Jesus, the King on a manger throne. From heaven to the cradle, from cradle to the cross, let heaven and nature sing, this is our King. But the grave couldn't hold it, our God has overcome, let heaven and nature sing, this is our King. From heaven to the cradle, from cradle to the cross, let heaven and nature sing, this is our King. But the grave couldn't hold Him, our God has overcome. Let heaven and nature sing, this is our King. All hail the King, all hail the King, all hail the King. Father, this morning, our hearts are rejoicing, Lord, for this season, which is maybe in the world's view, the happiest time of the year, Lord, but for us as Christians, Lord, the realization that it's the most special time because it is Emmanuel, God with us. And Lord, so much of this celebration is, Lord, uh, remembering uh, that you came to earth, Lord, as a baby, but ultimately, Lord, just the beginning of that plan for the perfect plan of salvation that you have ordained for us that believe in you. And Lord, we just pray for hearts to be turned to you, Lord, for this, uh, as we enter a new year, Lord, as people maybe reflect back and think forward that they would, uh, through your Holy Spirit, be inspired, Lord, to consider their eternal destiny and their purpose in life that you have for them. We ask it in your name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning I'll be reading the passage in preparation for Pastor James's message from the third chapter of John, verses 22 through 30. 
After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John was also baptizing at Anon near Salim, because water there was plentiful, and the people were coming and being baptized, for John had yet not been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Children, you could be dismissed for junior church. We are uh, living in discontented times. Um, discontentment is bombarding us everywhere. Uh, the advertisements, especially at Christmas time, are constantly telling you about the fact that you're incomplete or unfulfilled. And yet, the seeds of discontentment that are around us are true, but there are seeds of discontentment within our very own hearts. And if we're not careful, we could find ourselves um, opening ourselves up to these negative thoughts and these belief systems that can just dominate and produce unproductive things in our lives. And real, in reality, if you spend enough time just focusing on what you don't have, I call it the deficit mindset, what ends up happening is, is that you constantly feel yourself at lack. Uh, you feel insecure, you feel that there's something more that you desperately need in order to be happy and fulfilled. Uh, one author said that there are these five tendencies in people's minds and lives that will bring about disorder. And he talked about fact uh, first is that some people spend life criticizing others. It's constantly finding fault in what other people are doing, finding fault in things that are around. Maybe you tend to be a critical person. You're always looking to see what was wrong rather than what is right. Now, feedback is, is good. Uh, I had a friend yesterday give me some feedback on some things that I'm working on, and that feedback may have been uncomfortable, but the reality is that feedback was done from a friend who was caring for me and wants to see something good in my life. That's different than criticism. I, criticism, there we go. Criticism is, there we go. Um, feedback in and of itself is good, but criticism can have this tendency to be destructive. Well, that's one tendency that will diminish. There's a second tendency that people have today is that they tend to complain. Uh, there are people that just tend to whine, they tend to grumble, they're quick to find dissatisfaction in everything that is around them. And that complainer type model is, just brings a, a light, a darkness into a place. One author actually said that you'll notice that a room brightens up when one person leaves the room and that will tell you a lot about that person's character, that when they leave, it just feels like, oh, the air has gotten lighter. 
So there's some people that are complainers, some people are criticizing, some people compare. They live their lives constantly comparing themselves with others. Now they can compare their intelligence, their age, their height, their weight, their homes, their wives, their kids. They're constantly comparing. Some pastors, unfortunately, at times can compare their church with other churches. And that becomes a major issue. Well, it's not only criticizing, it's not only complaining, it's not only comparing, but it's also competing. There are some of us that are just win-lose. Now, I am a competitive person. I played high school sports, I played college sports. I like competition. But there's a significant difference between I must win and you must lose. And there are some people that just live their lives constantly competing and trying to break other people down. Well, this author said that there's a fifth thing that people struggle with is contending. They're always fighting. And this person tends to focus on what is wrong in other people's lives and what won't work. They never find a common ground with other people. They're just constantly fighting and bickering. And they are disagreeing in disagreeable ways. There's no grace. There's no mercy. There's no kindness. And they have a lot of unresolved conflict in their lives. I guess I'll add a sixth thing. Complacency. Complacency is where we take our foot off the gas pedal. We get passive in life. And I think sometimes is if we allow some of these other tendencies, the criticizing, the complaining, the comparing, the competing, the contending, if we don't address them, they are going to become a significant destructive force in our lives, in our relationships, and in the church. Now, one of my favorite quotes if you're on my Facebook page, it's there. My daughter created a placard for it with that quote. It's been up there for years. And this quote is something that I've shared with you before. I'm sharing with you today, the last message of 2023, Christian contentment. Christian contentment is that what is sweet. It's inward. It's quiet. It's a gracious frame of spirit that freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Now, I know it's old English, but what, what he's saying is this, because contentment is one of the hardest things that we will ever struggle with in this life, because we struggle with contentment. We are discontented people. But what he's saying is that Christian contentment is something that is sweet. It's not bitter. It's inward. It's not outward. It's not about what's happening outside of you. It's about what's happening within you. It is not only sweet, it's inward, it's quiet. It's not the chaos and the confusion of the world. It is quieting spirit that is able to center on grace. It's a gracious frame of spirit that freely submits to. Gracious frame of spirit just as a fancy way of saying it's gospel-centered. It is full of grace. And it's gracious frame of spirit that freely submits to and delights in, these two things are so important, submitting to God's way and delighting in God's way that God is your father and he's wise and he's got a great plan for your life. It's a great quote. I'd encourage you to try to memorize it. I encourage you more than that to try to live it. And I think this passage that we're going to talk about today is going to show you that there are people that live their lives in discontentment, criticizing, complaining, competing, contending, comparing all of those things, John's disciples were guilty of this. And what John did was this. John the Baptist 
told them, this is how I live my life in humble submission to God. He, thousands of years before Jeremiah Burroughs wrote this, this quote comes from 400 years ago. Thousands of years before, John the Baptist is living out what Jeremiah Burroughs said in this quote. And I'm hoping that you and I can live out this thing as we come to the end of 2023 and as we move forward to 2024, that if we can remember these five basic principles that will help you to live with contentment and humility and peace, it will radically change your life. It will radically change your relationships. It will radically change the direction of our church and the glory of God in our lives. So let me pray, and then we'll do some backdrop of so a little bit of context, and we'll spend most of our time in verses 27 to 30. Let's pray. Father, we are truly discontented people. Father, we get a present, and we probably wanted something different. Um, we look at our homes, and we want something different. We look at our families and we want something different. We are constantly looking at something different. People hop churches as well because there's a better church out there. There are so many people that just spend their lives hopping from one relationship to another, one church to another, one um, job to another, constantly trying to find the one thing that only Christ can give them, contentment. So, Father, John the Baptist was able to say, my ministry is decreasing, but Christ is increasing, so I have great joy. I pray that you would help us to see that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's interesting, in Philippians chapter 4, I won't turn there, but if you remember in Philippians chapter 4, Paul said this, for I've learned what, in whatever circumstance that I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And twice in that passage, he used the word learned. He had to learn something. And he talked about the fact that I learned that it doesn't matter the circumstance. And he learned that I can have plenty or hunger. I can have abundance or need, but it all, it's all about Christ. Now, if you go back to the passage in John that Dave read for us, in John chapter 3, it is all about John the Baptist. And this is going to be actually the, first rec the last recorded words of John the Baptist about the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, John the Baptist was called the greatest human being that lived. He was the greatest of the prophets. He was actually the last of the prophets prior, the last of the Old Testament prophets. And he was honored in so many ways. And John the Baptist was a man that had a powerful ministry. He got to be the herald and the spokesperson, the person that was going to usher the Lord Jesus Christ into his ministry. I mean, amazing. After 400 years of silence, God has not spoken to the nation of Israel in a prophetic way. And now all of a sudden, guess what happens? He gives John the Baptist. And John the Baptist doesn't have a multi-million dollar church. He doesn't drive a Rolls Royce. He doesn't have fancy suits. He is sitting there and he is in a desert and he's wearing what? Nothing really. I mean, this garb on the outside. He's eating locusts. This man is nothing in the world's eyes. But amazingly, he's been given an opportunity to be prophetic. 
Now John has gotten given this ministry and Jesus comes and he baptizes Jesus. If you remember in Matthew, he baptizes the Lord Jesus Christ and he says, this is the son of God. This is the Messiah that is awaiting you. He brings Jesus into the water. He brings him out. Now John was practicing a ministry of um, baptism by repentance. And so when you would go into the waters of baptism, you are repenting and you're showing that you are a sinner in need of the Messiah that's coming. And in fact, in Matthew, when John talked about the fact that I can't be baptized by you, I mean, I should be baptized by you. I shouldn't be baptizing you. And Jesus says, let it be done so that all righteousness is fulfilled. And if you remember, when Jesus went into the waters, you had the dove, the Holy Spirit above him. And then you heard the God from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And that is the privileged ministry that John the Baptist had had. Now, apparently John the Baptist's ministry was high, and then Jesus now comes up into ministry, and there is a period of time, I don't know how long it is, that there is a transition that is happening. They're both ministering at the same time. So after John the Baptist has um, given, uh, baptized Jesus Christ, Jesus is now going off with his ministers and disciples, and John the Baptist is continuing the same. And we see this passage in verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into Judean countryside, and he remained there with them, and he was baptizing. So Jesus was spending time discipling his disciples. He was teaching his disciples, and then he was also, his disciples were baptizing. And what was happening is that John the Baptist is doing the same thing. Jesus is doing the same thing. It's probably a similar baptism. When Jesus' disciples were baptizing people, they were probably baptizing them and speaking of repentance, that you desperately need to see your sin and you need to be cleansed of your sin. And it says in verse 23, while he was baptizing at Anon near Selim, because water was plentiful there, the people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put into prison. Now, I think the reason why John writes that there is this. If you look at the Matthew, uh, uh, Matthew uh, mentioning of the baptism, we see Jesus is baptized, and then soon after that, we see him in prison. And John is saying, wait a minute, before, between Jesus' baptism and before John went into prison, there is a gap in this ministry and there was a transition and both of them are ministering together. Okay, so now what happens in verse 25, now there was a discussion that apparently happened between some of John's disciples and the Jews over purification. Now we don't know what the purification is, but it probably is over the baptism. And so he's saying that there's this baptism that is happening and there's this dispute that is happening between these people. And they came to John, his disciples, and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going after him. I want you to see this, that the disciples um, love John. His, John's disciples love him. They've been following him. They've been following his teachings. They've been with him. They've been encouraged by his ministry and they have been growing in his ministry. Yet, they start to hear about Jesus. I, I find this interesting that they say he who is baptizing. John had already said that this is the Messiah. I am not the Messiah. This is the Messiah. And they can't even name Jesus. They are just so envious of Jesus's ministry, so jealous of what is happening. They couldn't even name him. He is baptizing and they're all going after him. It'd almost be like this. Um, 
we believe here we're a Christ-centered, cross-centered, word-centered, spirit-filled, God-glorifying church. But what happens if a church down the road, Christ-centered, cross-centered, word-centered, spirit-filled, God-glorifying church down the road is now getting hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of people going to them? What would Tim, Doug, and I think? I pray that we would think as John does. Praise the Lord. That it doesn't matter whether they are worshiping here at the chapel or they're worshiping at the church down the road. As long as they are being filled and taught in Christ, that's the most important thing. And Paul, in fact, when we were talking about Philippians chapter 4, when he was in prison, there were people that were preaching Christ out of envy, it says in chapter 2. And he says, it doesn't matter. At least Christ's name is being preached. He didn't even care that people were envious of Paul. He said that Christ is being preached. That's what John's passion is. And what John does is this. He, he counters the envy, the jealousy, the discontentment, the criticism of his disciples, the, the struggle, the dissatisfaction that they have. He challenges it with five principles that I, I want you to hear. Primarily, this is for Tim, Doug, and I, but it's also for you. Because these five principles are so vitally important for those that are in ministry. But it's also so vitally important for every single one of us in this room. Because if you can remember these principles and let them become the framework and the foundation of your life, things can radically change. Principle number one is this. In verse 27, it says, now John answered them. Let me read verses 26, uh, 25 and 26. Now the discussion between uh, the John's disciples and the Jews over purification. And they said to James, came to John and said, Rabbi, he who was baptizing across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going after him. And then John says this, a person cannot receive one thing unless it is given to him from above from heaven. John starts with his very first principle. He says, I can be humble and I don't have to be overwhelmed with what's happening with Jesus and his ministry right now because I believe in sovereignty. It's the first basic principle of being able to have humility and trust, sovereignty. I trust God's purpose. I trust God's power. I trust God's provision. I trust God. See, I think part of the reason why we struggle with discontentment today is that we don't trust God. We believe that God should be giving us something greater than what we have. And that's probably what Adam and Eve's problem is. They've got a bounty of, in, in Eden, and they look at one tree, one piece of fruit, and they say they have to have that piece of fruit to be satisfied. And sovereignty trust in that God's purpose and God's power and God's provision is paramount. What, what John was able to speak to is this. He recognized that every aspect of his life, every aspect of his life, his achievements, his blessings are all gifts from God. It's so important. He knew that his salvation was a sovereign and gracious work of God. And he knew that his ministry was a sovereign and gracious gift from God. In fact, every minister, whatever ministry you have, is a gift by God to you. And what John was able to recognize and tell his disciples is this, where you are, whatever your ministry is, it may be the ones that are up front, like the musical band or the person that's preaching or the Sunday school teacher, maybe you're up front. Guess what? Every aspect, I'm getting caught here. Uh-oh. <laughs> 
There we go. All right, I don't know. Um, every aspect of your life is under the sovereign and gracious work of God. Ministry is a mercy. In James chapter 1, verse 17, it says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father, with whom there is no variation or shadow. John was able to recognize this, that God's sovereign care, God's absolute rule in his life, was able to help him stay focused and know that I can trust God in the midst of everything. And I wonder... How do you do with trusting God's plan for your life? Do you, do you trust that God is in absolute control of every circumstance that is happening in life? See, I have to admit, very honestly, I honestly believe in the sovereignty of God, but then I look at all the misery that's in the world, and it's like, God, I just don't understand sometimes why you allow it. And my lack of understanding does not diminish the fact that God is sovereignly in control, because if there's even a single event in this world that is outside of God's sovereign control, I won't be able to trust him. I won't be able to trust his infinite love if even one thing can break his promises to me, but there isn't. And for some reason, and I don't know why, God allows people to attack his revealed will found in his word, but they will never thwart his sovereign will. His ultimate will for your life will never be thwarted by anything that you will ever do or anybody else will ever do. And John was able to rest in this. It doesn't matter. In fact, I am here to see him increase rather than me. So the first principle that John was able to share is the sovereignty piece. The second principle is also so important because when you see God for who he is, now you start to see yourself. It's like looking into a mirror. And he became a self-aware person. He understood who he was and he understood why he was here. He understood his role. So, so many of us fail to recognize why I am here. We, we don't believe that we have a purpose, but God has a divine purpose for every single person I'm looking at here. God knows everything about you. He created you. He planned you from the beginning of this world. God is sovereignly in control, but he also knows you in a particular way. See, it says in verse 28, you yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ but I've been sent before him. John was so very clear as to who he was. I am not the Messiah. I am just the forerunner of the Messiah. There was a catechism uh, written hundreds of years ago. It's called the Westminster Catechism, a shorter catechism. And catechisms are things that we don't tend to do a lot today, sad to say. But catechism is a way that you teach people. You teach people doctrine. And the very first question of the catechism goes this way, what is the chief end of man? And the answer, I would ask that as a teacher and you as a student would respond, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. See, your primary purpose, you may be stuck into, I don't know what my job should be, I don't know what college I should go to, I don't know who to marry, I don't know all of these things. You may have a lot of questions in your life, but I can tell you that your ultimate purpose in life is to glorify God. That means to reflect him, to display him the way you think, the way you speak, and the way you act. And to find your enjoyment in him. 
And now if I can settle my life on those two key principles, glorifying and reflecting him and finding my enjoyment in him, that leads to a greater level of self-awareness. Well, that's where John was. He knew his identity. His self-awareness was rooted in a clear understanding of who he was and who he was not. I am not the Christ, but I am a forerunner of the Christ. And he teaches us, John teaches us the balance between humility and purpose in life. So, so every time you get an opportunity to speak of Christ, that is a huge privilege. Ministry is an amazing mercy of God. And you should take that seriously and see that as a great level of responsibility, but have a, a level of humility in recognizing who you are not. You're driving people to the who, Christ. It's not about you. There's so many churches. There's one church that I know of that imploded once the pastor left because the whole church was focused on that one man. And when that one man was removed from that ministry, the whole church imploded. I pray that would never happen here because I don't think it would because I think what we do week after week passionately is to try to point you to the one who is your true savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you do that, when you can be self-aware and understand who you are and who he is, it keeps you from the trap of comparison and envy. Because that's exactly what his disciples were struggling with. They were comparing their ministry versus Christ's ministry. Their number of people versus Christ's number of people. And they were envious. They were discontented. But John was at peace because he trusted in the sovereignty of God, number one. But in the second... He trusted in the fact that he knew who he was. He was self-aware. But that led to a third principle in John's life. A servant-heartedness. He had a desire that God works in him and through him. And that he was living by God's grace and for his glory. Phrases that you've heard me use before. I, I see them so desperately here in John's life. God has worked in me. This nothing has been given the privilege of being the forerunner of the Messiah. I mean, it's just amazing. And I get to baptize people, and I get to teach people about repentance, and I get to point them to Christ. I mean, he knew that he was living life by grace and for glory. It says in verse 29, the one who is a bride has the bride as the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. What he does is he starts with that principle of sovereignty and the principle of self-awareness, and now he gives you a parable. He says, I want you to think about a wedding. Now, I don't know how many of you have been best men in weddings, but it is an awesome privilege. And back in this culture, it was even more so because what would end up happening is that there would be suitors that would try to come in and try to take the bride away from the guy. And the best man would actually act as a guard to prevent anyone from trying to steal the bride away. That's amazing, right? So it wasn't just the guy that we do now, you know, you just give a toast at a wedding, but there was some significant things you would become, in the Old Testament times, you as the best man would become the communicator to the bride that the bridegroom is coming. Now, we focus all of our attention today on the bride. But back in this culture, it was focused on the bridegroom. And the bride is waiting for the time that the groom is ready. And the, the best man gets an opportunity to be the spokesperson, which is so amazing. 
But John's servant-heartedness, he, he describes himself simply as a friend of the bridegroom. And that's a compelling illustration of servant-heartedness. I love this passage in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. It says, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to what? Serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And the Messiah, the rulership, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, came and took on a human flesh, and he became the lowest of servants, even going to a death on the cross, which we heard Tim preach from before. And the quality of the humility that Christ showed and his love for humanity, John wanted to display in his life. He wanted to emulate a best man. What a best man does is he doesn't make it about himself. He makes it about this bride and this groom, and he wants to be there as a friend to support them. And he hears their love for one another, and he hears the vows that they make, and he is joyful. Well, that's what John is saying. Guys, you're getting so envious over what's happening with Christ. This is exactly what I'm here. I'm his best man. I am not the groom. This is not my bride. This is Christ's bride, and Christ is the groom. Now, you may not catch it, but um, the idea of a groom and a bride goes back to the Old Testament. And it is a clear sign of Christ as the Messiah. Because in the Old Testament, the groom was God, and the bride were the Old Testament saints, the Israelites. And if you remember, time after time, those brides were faithless, and the groom was constantly faithful. And that is what Paul is, I'm sorry, that is what John is getting at. I want you to know that even our faithlessness is never going to deter the faithfulness of the groom that is coming. So John was a servant. You know, there's so many people here in our church. I mean, I get the awesome, Tim, Doug, and I get the awesome privilege of being able to stand before you in preaching. But there's so many people behind the scenes that you probably don't even think of. There are people in that back room over there right now that are allowing for our video to be recorded. Mark's back there. Nobody would even know it, right? But hopefully you go to the website and watch these, um, your videos again and watch the sermons again, but he's back there recording it so it can go on Facebook and YouTube and it's on our page. There are people behind the scenes right there. I mean, Lisa and Don right there in the sound booth. Nobody ever looks it back there at them, but they are there constantly providing service to you. Because it's not about them, and they're probably upset that I'm even doing this right now. Kathy and her group in the hospitality, all of you are going to go out there and eat something right afterwards, right? You're going to grab some coffee, and it's a crew of people. I'm almost ashamed to bring up names because I can't get everybody's name. There's so many people behind the scenes. Karen with her group that usher people in here. Scott with what he does. I mean, there's so many people behind the scenes that are doing things as a servant, they don't want their names out there. They do it for what? The kingdom of God and the glory of God and for your good. That's what John is saying. I can rest today because I trust in the sovereignty of God. I am self-aware that I am not the Christ. But as a servant, I am bringing you to the Christ. Brings us to our fourth principle. A fourth principle is this. Satisfaction. Joy. It says in verse 29, now I'll read the end of 29, therefore this joy of mine is now what? Complete. 
So John knew that, you know what, I was born, my mom and dad, my mom and dad couldn't have kids, my dad was a priest in the, in the temple, my dad got struck, he couldn't even speak for years uh, for uh, my birth, until my birth, my mom was old, there's no reason why she should have been able to give birth, but I, I jumped for joy when Jesus came into my, into my room, when Jesus in, my, in his mom's womb came into my home, I jumped for joy because I knew the Messiah was there. He had already known his ministry as he's sitting in his mom's womb. He had joy in the womb. He had joy in life because he had joy of leading people to Christ. John Piper says this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. I think the reason why we are so discontented in our world today, I got one finger out, three fingers point back, is that we look for something other to satisfy us other than Christ. And the more satisfied that you are in Christ, the more you will reflect him and glorify him in your life. And the less satisfied you are with Christ, the less you will glorify him in the way you think, in the way you speak, in the way you act. See, John the Baptist expressed his complete joy in the success of Jesus' ministry. He was completely in joy with that. He had this great fulfillment because I am leading people to Christ. I am pointing them to Christ. It's not about me. It's about him. He saw himself as a bridegroom, not as the bride, not as the groom. And so he talked about the fact of facilitating other spiritual journeys taking them to the foot of the Savior. And I want you to think, because it's not about the world's achievements. The world's achievements can never match bringing somebody to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know how many of you had the opportunity to sit down with somebody where they went from darkness to life, to, from death to life from blind to seeing, from deaf to hearing, when, when you get an opportunity to just be able to speak the gospel and you could see that the Holy Spirit is doing something in their lives, it, I just, it brings joy. It brings joy for us to be able to disciple people. You know, now they're already in the faith and now what we do is we disciple them and we can see them actually getting it because now their thoughts are being more grounded according to God's word and they're becoming more gospel-centered and their lives change and their relationships improve. You see that and it's like it is just so much joy. Worldly achievements can never match it. The Christmas presents that you unwrapped are nothing after about a minute or two, but eternity that you see in people's hearts and lives changes everything. And what John was able to say is this, I trust in the sovereignty of God. He is absolutely and totally in control. I see myself for who I am. I'm not the Christ. He is. I also know that I am called to be a servant. Jesus Christ was going to serve me I'm going to serve others for the glory of God. And he found satisfaction in life. Now, this principle is so important. That means that your satisfaction has to reflect God's heart. His desires must come first in your life. What would it mean if you would spend your time sharing the gospel, your personal testimony of how God has transformed you? Do you find, you find joy in that? Do you find joy investing in mentoring and discipling other people? 
When you find somebody, I talked about three different relationships that you should have. You know, you should have a mentor relationship, somebody that you look to that is a spiritual authority in your life. You should have an accountability relationship, somebody that is equal. You're pouring into their lives and they're pouring into yours. But the third relationship that you desperately need to have is a mentee relationship, somebody that is spiritually less far along or not as far along as you are, that you can grow. And what would happen if every single person, every single face in this room, every single person that hears my voice today would grab one person this year to disciple them? One person to bring them to the foot of the cross, to bring them to the empty tomb, to bring them to the risen and exalted Savior. What would happen if every one of us did one person? There's some in this room that do many people. But what happens if every single one of us did one? things would radically change. That's what John was able to say. I find my great satisfaction in inviting people to Christ, to pointing them to their sin. You need to repent. Pointing them to the Savior, the only one that will ever take away their sins, and pointing them to the future that they can have because in Christ, you can have forgiveness of every sin you've ever committed. In Christ, you can have a family. In Christ, you can have freedom, but in Christ, you have a future. You have eternity. This world is miserable, but this is not your final end. It's not your final home. Your final home is eternity. There's no more pain, no more sorrows, no more tears, no more death. So he was able to point to sovereignty. He was able to point to self-awareness. He was able to point to servant-heartedness. He was able to find his joy in leading others to Christ. But then the fifth thing is so important supremacy. He was called to magnify Christ above everything else. He says in verse 30, he, Christ, must increase. I must decrease. See, boys, he's saying to his guys, guys, you're missing it. It was never about my ministry. My ministry was going to extend and then it was going to come to an end. My life is going to come to an end. In months, his, his head is going to be removed, unfortunately. He's going to die. He's going to take his last breath, and he will see his, his father in heaven. And then eventually, he will see his savior in heaven. And he will have this amazing opportunity to continue to magnify Christ for all of eternity. He must increase, but I must decrease. This principle of elevating Christ above all things in our lives, acknowledging his supreme importance, and allowing our self-importance to diminish more and more. John the Baptist had this profound lesson of prioritizing Christ in everything. You and I have a tendency to keep him on the periphery. He, he made him prominent in the way he thought. He made him prominent in his actions. He made him prominent in his life. His embracing the supremacy of Christ was about letting Christ's teachings so saturate him, so fill him, permeate him, and that Christ's teachings would become so part of who he was that he had to simply breathe this out. And as he magnified Christ, his pride, his ego, his self-centeredness began to wane. All those other things, the, the fact there were more people in, their, in Christ's ministry than his didn't matter to him. It wasn't about self-deprecation, deprivation. It was about the transformation in Christ's likeness. And it led him to a richer, a richer and a more fulfilled sense of who he really was. 
You know, it's interesting that we think about losing ourselves is losing our identity. And what the Bible tells you is this, the more you lose yourself, the more you actually are going to find yourself because God has your identity already labeled. He knows who you are. And you could be something incredible in the sight of God. So, I want you to think about your decisions, your relationships, your goals for this year. As you start to sit down probably tomorrow and think about your resolutions for next year, I want you to think about this. Am I trusting in the sovereignty of God? Am I reminding myself of my self-awareness? Am I reminding myself that some of those goals have to be about serving? Because I have to have a servant's heart. Is the goal my satisfaction or is Christ my satisfaction? And is Christ supreme? See, when you do that, what ends up happening is this. We lose ourselves, but we also find ourselves. Because we magnify Christ. We become beacons of his love and his grace and his gospel. We invite others to see the transformative experience that God has had in my life and that he can have in your life as well. What an amazing privilege. So I want you to think about this as we delve into this new year. I want you to make those five principles the cornerstone of your life. Glorify Christ. And when you let those principles that we've just seen from John chapter uh, 3, what it will do is it will guide you in a greater level of harmony and peace. That's why Burroughs was able to say that Christian contentment is sweet. It's inward, it's quiet, it's the gracious frame of spirit that freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. I want you to ponder anew the gospel. I want you to become students of the word this year. As I did the last couple of years, I will put a blog out there on our website, give you opportunities to be able to read through God's word this year. There are plenty of people that do not, have never read through God's word all the way through. There are plans that you could do that over this next year or two. What would it mean if you were to take God's word and say that I'm going to read this whole thing and learn it? Look, it's not that big. It actually is 70 hours. If you audio Bible, it's 70 hours, less than two work weeks to get through this book. But more than getting through this book, it's learning the God of the book. I want you to understand this as well. I love this little chorus. You know, turn your eyes upon what? Look full in his what? His wonderful face. And the things of this earth will what? strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's what John was saying to his disciples. Guys, I have found my satisfaction. I found my contentment. I found my peace in making it much about Christ. Less of me, more of him. Would you pray with me? Father, I I look and I see how easy it is to preach this (laughs) and how hard it is to live it. Because, Father, as we look at these principles, which are so true, that it should be less of me and more of him, how quickly do I try to become the sovereign, trusting in my own power, my own purpose, my own provision? 
how easy it is for me to say that I am nothing, but then I make it mostly about me at times. Lord, please forgive me, forgive us. Father, help us to understand who we are and help us to understand whose we are. Father, how often is it that we want people to serve us rather than we serving them? Remind us that your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, even on the night he was betrayed, took a basin and a towel and served disciples that were going to reject him, deny him, run from him, yet he did it because he loved them. I praise you for that. I thank you for the fact that um, you are the real true satisfaction. You fill our hearts, Lord. I pray that you would fill our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Help us to be so filled with Christ that we breathe in grace and that we exhale grace. And the Father, help us to see the supremacy of Christ in everything. As we see him as supreme, I pray that the problems, the struggles, the difficulties, the relational struggles, the physical struggles, the pains, the, the difficulties of this life will grow strangely dim in the light of Christ's glory and Christ's grace. For those that are here that never have trusted in Christ, Lord, I pray that you would be comprehending them right now with the gravity of their sin and their desperate need for a savior. Father, I pray that the humility that John showed, I pray that they would show that same humility by reaching out to one of us and saying, I need to know more about that Savior. And for some of us in this room, Father, give us the awesome privilege of being able to bring them to that one who is light out of the darkness, life out of death, hope out of hopelessness, your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. that outlasts darkness hope that's in the blood there's future grace that's mine today that Jesus Christ has won so I can face tomorrow for tomorrow's in your hands and all I need you will provide just like you always have i'm fighting a battle i'm fighting a battle you've already won no
right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we know that you have won the battle. God, as we go into uh, 2024, just like James was talking about, Father, I just ask that you would increase and that we would decrease. Help us to just meditate on that in the coming weeks as we move forward into 2024. Help us, as we were uh, praying earlier, Father, um, to continuously be more and more salt of the earth for you. Thank you that you give us that, that, um, that blessing to be able to be a part of the way in which you save souls. So God, this, this 2024, help us to just be that salt to help people around us be more thirsty for you. Thank you for this time. Thank you for our church. And we uh, pray that you bless us as we go. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Have a nice week, guys.